everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff Paulson, sitting in the uh, the comfortable home studios in front of a fire, still basking in the uh, the holiday Thanksgiving uh, food coma is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, thank you for being here. Oh man, it is it is a pleasure. I w- There's no place I would rather be than you know right here in front of the uh, fire with a good book of Chaucer. Now, last I checked, you didn't have a fireplace, so is that fire contained or? Well, that's kind of an issue. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll need to speed this up. Speed this yeah, up. <laughs> I can go maybe 15 minutes on this one. Um, the reason I like to have a big thick book of Chaucer when I have a fire is because a sucker like that will keep a fire fed for like an hour and a half. Okay. A so book like this. A little right. bit of urgency. A little bit of urgency. All right. Well, I'll give you an out here. Uh, I'm going to give you I'm gonna give you an option. Uh, we can talk about baseball history as we have done for 42 episodes prior to this. Or if you want to, we can just fawn about Baby Yoda. <laughs> oh, man. That's a tough one because how can you not just, you know fun about baby yoda but i'm i'm gonna get past that and uh uh, instead let's do something that not everyone is doing this time of year let's talk about baseball let's do let's talk about baseball i do have a giant picture of baby yoda up on my second screen that i'm just of course you do (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's uh start our our show today first off by uh, getting everybody prepared we've got a special guest joining us today very exciting uh i've talked to this this guy for almost a year it seems like on twitter he's got a great podcast of his own uh it is the turn a pair baseball podcast uh chris from turn a pair is going to be joining us today he is a really fun guy to talk uh, you know to talk baseball with he interviews a lot of minor leaguers as they are in the minor leagues coming up so in a couple of years he's going to know everybody in the bigs but he's going to join us a little bit later on to talk about some 80s 90s and 2000 baseball which is uh it's a great interview so be sure to stick around for that but to warm up for that mark why don't we uh, jump into some batting practice and and go over a couple of things all right i've done my stretches i'm ready to roll all right well we've been talking about bats baseball bats the last couple of episodes including one episode almost entirely dedicated to it mm-hmm. I, I keep finding as i tend to do i keep finding stuff after the fact and i'm like oh, i wish i would have known about that when we were actually talking about it but i want let's go back real quickly again to 1919 babe ruth actually ordered some special bats from louisville sluggers and that was the year that babe ruth hit 29 home runs in his first full season as a position player which at that point broke the long-standing single-season record that had been set back in 1884. This was the very first time a baseball bat had been produced with a knob at the end for Babe Ruth. No way. Really? Yeah, so you can guess what happened the next year when everybody wanted to order their baseball bats. (laughs) Suddenly it was the end thing, I imagine. Yeah, put that that knob at the very end. Uh, I want to talk... this. I am fascinated by this. We have talked a lot about Japanese baseball this year. We've had a guest on from Japan to talk about Japanese baseball. I have continued to talk with him over social media, and uh, I've got two things from Japanese baseball. First of all, the Japanese Cy Young Award was given out, uh, I think, two weeks ago at this point, and it was given to nobody. What? Nobody won the award. 
This is incredible. So the, uh, the, the award is called the Sawamura Award. It is the Japanese equivalent of the Cy Young. It was established in 1947 and named after Eiji Sawamura, who was a right-handed pitcher for the uh, Yamayuri Giants because every, they're the Yankees of the, uh, of the Japanese League. This was the first time in 19 years, though, that no pitcher had been deemed good enough to be named winner of the Sawamura Award. So no one was good enough. That That's why they didn't give it out. Nobody was good enough. <laughs> wow. So it's kind of interesting. There are actual standards for this award. So it's not just, uh, all right, let's throw everybody in a hopper and look at their stats and decide who is our, you know, our winner this year. They have actual standards that must be met. And they're extremely high. First of all, to be considered, you have to have 15 or more wins. Okay, that seems... That seems reasonable, although we know wins at this point are kind of out of favor. And we've had plenty of Cy Young Award winners. I mean, last year, uh, De- Jacob deGrom, I think, had 10 wins. Randy Johnson, when he won it, I think only had like 12 or 13. But this is the this is the kicker here. Beyond having 15 or more wins, you must have thrown at least 10 complete games. Whoa! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, no one gets that award over here. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I I looked up individual players. I should have looked up. I don't think any team had ten complete wins combined this year. But I, I mean, that is a heck of a standard to hold somebody up to. But apparently, the for the past nineteen years, somebody has done it in Japan. So that's that's, that's saying something. The major league leaders this year in complete games was a tie between Shane Bieber and Lucas Giolito. They had three apiece. So they were (laughs) close. They were combined. They were barely over halfway there. Uh, Both of them, uh, Shane Bieber had 15 wins, but Lucas Giolito only had 14. So he wouldn't have qualified on either front. But, I mean, those are some pretty high standards for for an award, which I kind of like it, though. I would love to have some sort of base you know level maybe based on some some sabermetric stats that you have to meet in order to win some awards i'd love it no i gotta i gotta say i agree i you know nobody there's no cheap winning of that award nobody's gonna slip into it i would also love if they changed it from nvp to something else because nvp to me just means you're the most valuable player you know in the league and of course there's the old argument all right would would the Angels have finished any better than you know fourth if Mike Trout wasn't on the team? Right. I mean, it, it you just I really would love to change the name of that to name it after a player like you know like uh, like E.G. Uh, Sawamura, name it or, after uh, somebody. Garth Orge. How about Garth Orge? Yes, definitely. I think that would that would really. That's the it, first guy that came to mind right there. That would really. Uh, you know, express the magnitude of the award. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. So this is something I I actually was talking to Trevor from the Hanshin Tigers English News about. uh, Because Jose Parra of the world champion, Washington Nationals, just signed with the aforementioned Giants of the uh, NPB. So he's headed over to Japan for next year. Of course, Parra and Baby Shark were all the rage all season, but, you know, especially in the playoffs. 
got really popular. So I asked Trevor, I said, what is the deal? You know, do is there walk-up music in the NPB? Because my thought there being is it's a very individual type of of thing because you're you're a player and you're picking out the song that you want for yourself well a lot of the you know the the japanese teams are all about team and you know not standing out but he said absolutely they have uh they have walk-up music and uh, tomoya mori of the cebu lions in fact uses baby shark as his walk-up music as well so well, there you have it he must be your new favorite player <laughs> now i couldn't you know I couldn't. I was trying the other day to think of how Baby Shark went, and I couldn't do it. Like, as soon as, like, a week after baseball season ended, I could no longer sing that song. I'm blanking on it. I obviously know the words because it's Baby Shark, but that's, right. I, I can't You got that memorized. You yeah. know, write down, write down the lyrics, and it'll help you recall the tune. Yeah. It's not working. Yeah. And I'm not complaining either, so. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> uh so quick thought, uh, Hall of Fame ballots are out. They're starting to come in, starting to populate on Twitter, the people that make them uh, make them public. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. A couple of ballots have come back where the only player that that voter has voted for is Derek Jeter. Now, you can vote up to 10 players on this ballot. What are your thoughts, Mark, on people that are simply just checking Derek Jeter and nobody else? Well, it makes you wonder how, how much they truly follow baseball is it an afterthought for them you know i'm a sports writer and i i love football but i have to write about baseball too you know it makes you wonder because in all honesty um it's a much bigger deal than that yeah i, I kind of feel like they're shirking their responsibility i mean you know it's an honor to be able to vote on the hall of fame and well yes Derek jeter is a hall of famer i mean especially now when people are really pouring over his his numbers he is not this you know he's not mariano rivera he's not ken griffey jr exactly he's you know a a very popular player but he's not like in the upper echelon of players that are enshrined in the hall of fame so to simply just check him and not check some of these other names i think is kind of making a farce of the whole voting process i'm in complete and utter agreement as you may have imagined i think you know jeter obviously is a first ballot hall of famer no question about it i mean it sucks because you look back at everybody before mo rivera and go griffey wasn't anonymous anonymous unanimous you know for me ricky uh, nolan ryan you know Mm -hmm. mickey mantle willie mays these guys weren't unanimous so yeah i mean is Derek jeter I mean, it's it's hard for me to get over. Yes, being unanimous should not be a a once in a blue moon type of thing. But is Derek Jeter really worthy of that? I guess I I don't know. A very divisive character. I mean, he certainly can be. I mean, uh, there are levels of uh, though of I, I hate to call him overrated because he's really a fantastic ball player. But there are levels of being overrated. Calling Derek Jeter the greatest Yankee of all time is is not no, accurate. A, I'm know, sorry, I, but. We got Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio, Tony Lazari, Ron Guidry, Mariano Rivera, Yogi Berra. Mickey Mantle. Uh, <laughs> Mickey, you know, duh. <laughs> you know, there's a few ones that I would, if I were going to take someone for their career, I would ta- uh, take a Yankee. I would take someone over Derek Jeter, maybe seven or eight players ahead of him. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's frustrating. But, it, you know, there is a chance he's the only one that makes it in on the on the 
on the ballot. You know, there'll sure. be the veterans committee people getting in, but he could be the only one actually voted in this year. So um, yep. I wanted to ask you, this was a, a question on Reddit the other day, and it was... <laughs> It just, you know, I, I, I read through some of the responses and have to realize that some of these people are a lot younger than we are that were responding. But there was a question of who is the best center fielder of all time? And they listed Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, Ken Griffey Jr., or Mike Trout. Now, obviously, everyone that watches baseball knows Mike Trout is absolutely incredible and probably the the most talented baseball player of our generation. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's part of what I wanted to talk to you about. A lot of these people had never seen, I mean, I never got to see Mickey Mantle or Willie Mays play. I've seen highlights, especially of Mays. And I mean, Mays was an absolute beast in every aspect of the game. Mickey Mantle was a, absolute five tool player until he hurt his knees and then he could you know had a lot of trouble getting around but sure when he was young he had he had wheels he has you know he definitely had a gun my question to you is do you think mike trout today what are we 10 years into his career i don't know if he's been around that long but do you think he's a better center fielder than your guy ken griffey jr Wow, man, this is this is a two-hour show. Yeah, right here. I, well, I'm gonna take I'm taking Maze and Mantle out of it. I want to just hear because you know you have obviously seen a lot of Ken Griffey Jr. play in person. You've also obviously seen not as much, but a good deal of Mike Trout in person. If you yeah, had I, to take one of them, which one of those two are you gonna take? I, I've seen enough of Mike Trout, by the way, because <laughs> man. He seems to destroy the Mariners. They just, uh, but that's probably true of every team. Everybody is probably like, oh no, not Mike Trout. Who would who would I want career wise? Um, boy, that's a tough call, man. I mean, Griffey Griffey has hit you know home runs in the fifty plus range. Um, he he did you know he showed us that he could hit home runs in eight consecutive games. His defense is stellar. Um, I saw a lot more Griffey, so maybe you know I'm going to go ahead and say maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I take Griffey. I, I couldn't give you an answer, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I really, I mean, I've seen them both, not as much as you with Griffey. You know, I've seen them both in person quite a bit. Mike Trout is obviously freshest on my mind. Sure. And there just seems like nothing he can't do. It's a hard question. My my answer, though, of all four of them is just by default Willie Mays. Because I, I think Willie Mays, for me, if I had to name the greatest baseball player of all time, for me, mm-hmm. it might be Willie Mays. So, that's funny because that's my that's always my answer. You know, uh, not just just because he's Willie Mays. His defense was amazing. His arm, obviously, uh, he had 660 career home runs. Man, that's a lot of home runs. And he stole a lot of bases. He hit for yeah. average. He was great defensively. I mean, yeah, it's he's the prototype. If you were going to design a center fielder, you would design Willie Mays. Yeah, I mean, all four of those guys, though. Yeah, you know, all four of them when healthy were absolute prototype center fielders you bet i thought that was interesting to just see the see the age uh bias in the in the thread but also i thought it was just an interesting and yeah we could literally sit here and especially if we went over all four of them we could do a two-hour show just talking about that maybe that's an idea for down the road
maybe maybe like a three-hour symposium that we charge people a lot of money to come to. Yeah, we'll open up our Patreon account, and it'll... <laughs> yeah, yeah. For that, you can hear us just talk about players that we never even got to see play. Although right. that tends to be most of our show, we're a baseball history <laughs> podcast. That's right. This is true. We're not that old. All right. So let's jump into our final segment of BP, our debut segment. Obviously, this show uh, debuting a little late in the year for there to be any actual baseball debuts. This show is dropping on December 3rd. So we are going to shift our focus to players that were born on December 3rd. Slim Pickens today. Not going to lie. Um all three of these names are purely selfish from my standpoint because uh, there wasn't a whole lot to choose from. First, born on this day in 1960, Gene Nelson, side-arming right-hander, was with the A's for their late 80s, early 90s run. One of my absolute favorite relief pitchers of all time. I loved Gino. Gene Nelson was a workhorse. Yeah, he was. He... <laughs> He would pitch every day. He pitched a little bit. I think he spent two years with the Mariners, too. So you might have even been familiar with him. But I loved him. He came out of that bullpen, and I had complete confidence in him. You know, if if Rick Honeycutt came out of the bullpen, I I would just be ready to give up a couple of runs. But Gene Nelson, (laughs) I loved him. Loved him. Um, I did... (laughs) His record in 1985 as a reliever with the Chicago White Sox, 10 and 10. As a reliever, he had 20 decisions. As a reliever, he had 20 decisions? As a reliever, he pitched in, I think it was 54 games. He had a 10-10 and 10 record. Different game back then. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's for sure. All right, this, uh, this name I know you will enjoy as well. Born in 1963, switch-hitting catcher Damon Berryhill. Oh, absolutely. But, but beyond Damon Berryhill and Mickey Tettleton... Can you think of another? I think we've we've done this before during a game. Other switch hitting catchers. I honestly, Mackie Sasser was he a switch hitter? Sasser, I thought he was a straight lefty, but I'm not sure. Damon Berryhill, though, these numbers jumped out at me. He played mostly for the Cubs and the Braves. I remember that because that it was during the late '80s, early '90s when I only got basic cable and there was no ESPN games or you know, MLB TV. So if you weren't on the Cubs or the Braves, I wasn't as familiar with you. And he was on both of those teams. So I saw a lot of Damon Burial. Between the years of 1988 and 1989, base runners stole 104 bases against Damon Berryhill. He also threw out 74. He, he threw out 74? He threw out 74 base runners wow. out of, what, 178. That's incredible, wow. man. <laughs> that's, that's a that's gun. Impressive. Yeah, I mean, no kidding. Well, it was the Cubs and the Braves. So I guess the late 80s, the Cubs were good for one year. The Braves were just starting to get good. So yeah, they had some good good pitchers on the mound. But that's those are incredible numbers. Yeah, that's impressive. And then my final birthday, uh, this, is, this one's really selfish for me. Born in 1973, Rob Ramsey. Now, that name might not be as familiar to most people. He only played two seasons, uh, and uh, both of those were with Baltimore. He also was signed a couple years after his last appearance by the Padres, but never made it to the big leagues. Uh, He died of cancer at the age of 42 in 2016, but uh, I knew Rob Ramsey personally. He was a Washington State Cougar and was on the baseball team when I was at school there, and I was doing the play-by-play on the radio and I knew him and 
he was a he was a, a a nice guy and one of those guys that I actually got to meet when I was working, just starting out and working for some baseball teams. Uh, I always got excited when anybody from Washington State would come through because I could go down on the field during BP and actually walk up to people and say, hey, Rob, you know, how you doing? And <laughs> they would, you could see they, they, I looked familiar. They had really no idea who I was until I reminded them, but it was cool. And uh, it was too bad that he passed away a couple of years ago, but that was uh, just a selfish one. I wanted to say happy birthday to Robert Ramsey. All right, we have a special guest joining us today, somebody that we've been waiting to talk to for a while. Chris from the Turn a Pair Baseball Podcast is joining us today. Chris, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, it's it's nice to be on another podcast other than my own. It's really it's it's an honor to be on this podcast. I listen to you guys regularly, and as I mentioned before we started recording, it's. It's nice to actually be able to talk to you guys where you talk back as opposed to me just in my car talking to you while you're doing your podcast. So this will be good. That's like the opposite of my wife. She doesn't like it when I respond. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I've got that problem too. (laughs) For everybody else, if you're unfamiliar with Turn a Pair Baseball podcast, first of all, you know, what's up with that? Make sure you you search it out. Uh, Chris is a great guy. And Chris is the guy that in a couple of years... You're going to be friends with like half of the major leagues. And and that's because Chris, he interviews minor league prospects. He gets to hear their stories about getting drafted, maybe even not getting drafted, and their history with the game. And it's a great listen, some really great stories. And you've had some really, really interesting and great guests. Has has anybody yet on your pod made it to the big leagues? Yeah, so we've had a couple of guys. Um, I've interviewed a couple of big leaguers. Um, a couple former, a couple current, the, the most notable that made it after recording was Aaron Savale of the Cleveland Indians. He was a, when I recorded with him, he was still in extended spring training and I was wondering, you know, is he hurt? You know, is, is it not going so well? I think he was just kind of not quite ready. Um, and then he ended up, he came up with the Indians, uh, was on their double a team, uh, the Akron rubber ducks and, he was on fire. I was keeping track of his stats and I thought he might get a shot. And sure enough, he, uh, on a Saturday afternoon against Detroit, it was on Fox sports, you know, the national broadcast and he did really, really good. So it's exciting. So Aaron Savali is the first kind of guy who I interviewed and then got called up shortly after I interviewed him. That's awesome. So, so you get to hear about all these major leaguers, minor leaguers and their history with the game. How about, how about you? Will it, what's a, a quick, summary of how you got into baseball how you fell in love with the game yeah i mean baseball i'm a a third generation baseball fan if you will my my grandfather was a huge baseball fan grew up actually in a, a white Sox household and it was easier for him to get to cubs games so he became a cubs fan so he would play hooky and and ride ride the train into wrigley field and my mom sort of was a, is a huge baseball fan as well. And, and just passed that down to me. And, you know, I, I grew up going to Cubs games, whether on the road or at, at Wrigley field and played baseball. I worked in minor league baseball for, for a couple of years. So I've, I've always been around baseball and, and now I don't necessarily work in baseball, but it's still a, something I'm very passionate about. And so I started this podcast about a, a year ago and, and here we are. You mentioned being a Cubs fan, but now you are no longer in Chicago. You're kind of in enemy. Well, I don't know if Milwaukee's really enemy territory. It seems more Cubs fans 
there than <laughs> Brewers fans? Yeah, there are. Yeah, if you, if you go to a Cubs Brewers game, it's it's sometimes it's be it's sixty percent Cubs fans, forty percent Brewers fans. It's gotten to the point where Brewers fans don't really go to those games because they just know there's going to be so many Cubs fans there. But yeah, it it definitely is enemy territory. I have a Cubs flag that I fly in front of my house, and I get a I get a lot of grief for that. Do you fly the W? It yeah, it's a W Cubs flag that I hang. I'm I'm yeah. I don't, I don't I'm not the guy that changes it out every day. I have a friend who lives in Milwaukee who every game when they win, he goes out and he puts his W flag up, which is too much work. So I just leave mine out. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll we'll accept that. So you've you grew up a Cubs fan. You, you and you grew up in Chicago, though, right? Well, so I grew up in Northwest Indiana, Valparaiso, which. Jeff Samarja is a, a, a Major League Baseball player from Valparaiso. But yeah, I grew up in Valparaiso, which is about 45 minutes to an hour outside of downtown Chicago. And that area, that market, Chicago, is, is most of those people there are either Cubs or White Sox fans. So you had to pick one. Obviously, Cubs, I didn't really have a choice in my family. So yeah, it's, it's, I grew up in the Chicagoland area. So it's, it's one or the other, right? You can't be fans of both. Yeah, it's sort of weird if you're fans of both. It's funny, I've since I've been gone 15 years, well, not really, I guess I moved in when I was, it's been 20 years actually since I left, as they call it, the region. I've slowly, I used to hate the White Sox. Now, I find, I actually just bought a Tim Anderson t-shirt like three days ago. and Perfectly acceptable. Yeah, exactly. I love Tim Anderson. I just sent my, my cousin a text message who's the black sheep. He's the only White Sox fan in the, in the whole family. I sent him a text the second the Grandal news broke and we were, you know, excited about that move and it's a great move for the White Sox. And so I've sort of become a fan of the White Sox just because I love the rebuild. I love what they're doing. I love all their young players. So yeah, but growing up as a kid, you had to pick a lane. Otherwise you were kind of weird for not for, for maybe liking them both. Let me ask you this in Chicago, because here in the Bay area, there's these hats and I hate them. And, and most most A's fans hate them, you know, that is half Oakland A's hat and half Giants hat. Do they have those elsewhere? Or they, do they have a White Sox no. Cubs hat? No, no, not at all. No, there's it, it's it, so my wife's company is based in in Vallejo. So I occasionally travel out to to that area with her only if she goes during baseball season and I go to A's or Giants games. And that was kind of the thing I figured out that it seems like A's and Giants fans are kind of friendly to each other. It seems like when they're kind of rooting for the other team a little bit, but in Chicago, it's definitely not like that. It's very, it's aggressive Cubs Sox games, especially at whatever they call the White Sox park guaranteed rate. It, it's a little bit testy and can be a little bit uncomfortable uh, for either one of the fans. Wrigley's not so much, but it can be a little bit rough there. So what is your what's your first memory of baseball? I've got to assume it's either Cubs or White Sox related. What, what what's the first thing you remember about the game? You know, it's funny. Um, the first thing I really remember about the game is me playing it. And I have a funny two two story, two really good memories, and they're probably right around the same time. One is me playing. I was it was the first year I ever played baseball. The first year I played, I was absolutely terrible. I was I was the last kid on the bench. They played. They stuck me out in right field in T-ball, which that's usually where they stick the kid that they know they can't catch. We're, we made it to the championship game, and I'm in right field, last inning, pop-up gets hit, and I remember closing my eyes, sticking my glove up, and somehow 
the ball landed in my glove. And I remember running into the infield and dogpiling with tears streaming down my face because I was so happy. That was like the entire season was just one epic failure until that moment. Thankfully, my game improved a little bit. As far as as a fan, I, re, I re, the 1989 playoffs that that whole season, just you know coming home from school in the fall, and you get home just in time to see Harry sing the stretch at Wrigley. And then the playoff run, which, you know, was great. It doesn't happen very often with the Cubs, or it didn't at that point. And then that, you know, that, of course, what every Cubs fan must feel is that disappointment of Will Clark crushing our soul in the 1989 National League Championship Series. Is, is he ever referred to, you know, the, the Red Sox have Bucky F and Dent? Is, is it ever Will F and Clark? Yeah, there's a, you know, yeah, he's one of those guys that Cubs fans, you say his name and you kind of cringe. Yeah, he's in that group. He's he's in the team picture of guys that we respect as a player, but boy, they they just, yeah, memories, bad memories of Will Clark. Let's talk about your favorite team, the Cubs. Let's build a Mount Rushmore, but I don't want, I don't want a Mount Rushmore of just Cubs that, you know, every Cubs fan is immediately going to say, you know, the same the same couple of names: Ernie Banks, you know, Frank Chance. Maybe I, if they if they go back that far, <laughs> your four favorite Cubs of all times. Well, it's got to be Tinker's Evers and Chance, right? They're a part of the intro to my my podcast, turning a pair. Uh, no, they're not. They're they're a little before my time. <laughs> my my Mount Rushmore of Cubs. First and foremost is Ryan Sandberg. Nice. Absolutely. I loved to a couple episodes ago, you guys were talking about uh, the Ryan Sandberg play where he's sliding into third base. I think it was Jose Uribe, Jose Uribe was, the, yeah. was the baseball card. Yeah. I remember that card. And yeah, I think it was funny because I remember as a kid, if I, when I collected baseball cards, if there was a card that had a Cubs player, but specifically Ryan Sandberg in it, I was like, I don't care if that's a Jose Uribe card. That's going to my Cubs section. But no, Ryan Sandberg is for sure. He's my all-time favorite player. Always will be. In fact, it was funny. As as I was talking to my mom about coming on your show, and uh, she was telling, she told me a story about when I was a little kid, we went on this trip to Pittsburgh. And uh, we went to we were at the old Three River Stadium watching the Cubs. And that was kind of our family trip. We'd, we'd pick a weekend in the summer and we'd go follow the Cubs somewhere in you know, some Midwestern town, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, whatever it was. And my sister, my mom was pregnant with my sister at the time. And she said, if it was a boy, that the boy's name would have been Sean Ryan McLean. <laughs> and I was, I was like, how do I just find this story out? Like, well, two days ago. So... Sean, like Sean Dunstan, S-H-A-W-O-N? Well, no, it would have been Sean without the O. It would have been S-H-A-W-N, not, you know, S-H-A-W-O-N. But Ryan would have been R-Y-N-E. Yeah, I thought she was going for the for the, the brace there with two cubs. but Yeah, well, Sean was, was based on Sean Dunstan, but just spelled differently. But no, so my Mount Rushmore, Ryan Sandberg, Andre Dawson. And then it's really hard. I mean, it's it's a little bit weird, I guess, to pick guys who are younger than me um, to idolize. But, you know, Anthony Rizzo, because he was on a team that won a World Series. And I've got a special place in my heart for Kerry Wood. 
totally acceptable. I, I would say, yeah, I carry wood through a, you know, that 20 strikeout game was, was on my 17th birthday. So oh, nice. I'll never nice. forget that one. Yeah. Yeah. Now is, um, is that Kerry Wood with the mustache or without? I think it was Kerry Wood with the mustache, kind of that pencil <laughs> yeah. thin. That's a, that's a bonus two points. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It's like, uh, hey, guys, I'm, I'm hitting puberty. I can grow a little something on my face. All right. So this one is this one might be a tougher one for you. I've, I've asked this before, but because I can only think of three variations of this, but what is your team's what's your favorite Cubs uniform? Well, the Cubs have one of the classics yeah. that they've really never, yeah. you know, the, 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 the pinstripe, the, the home white with the, the pinstripe. I love the, although I don't remember it in real time, that 84 blue pullover. Oh. It was solid blue with the Cubs. I actually have a Ryan Sandberg 84 blue pullover. I swear they wore those in 89 though, too. They might have, they might have actually, you know, it's funny the room I'm in, I've, I'm looking at these old baseball cards. And I've got an 89 Sandberg card with basically that same jersey. Yeah, I'm fair because I remember I remember them because they wore it in the playoffs even. And if anybody knows anything about me, either from listening to this or, or following us on social media, I hate alternate uniforms in the playoffs. So <laughs> it bugged me even back then. You know, you know what's funny is I normally enjoy alternate uniforms just as a change of pace. But with the Cubs, I don't. I own, when, when I go to a game at Wrigley, I only want to see the white with the blue pinstripes. That's all I want. So when you ask, do I have three iterations of Cub uniforms that I like? The answer is no. <laughs> I like, because I don't like the road. I've never liked their road grays. Yeah. They're just, they're kind of boring. And there's no pinstripes on them. But the old the old school pinstripes and the solid blue th- those are my two and I will pass on a third <laughs> if if I'm allowed to do that sure 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 you make the rules here we're just we're uh, we're just asking the questions so you mentioned you you worked a little bit in the minor leagues mark is intimately familiar with minor league baseball that I am 11 yeah. years in the minors baby well, you started with the was it the Hartford Dark Blues? Is that what we talked? <laughs> no, that what you guys he couldn't make about? it. Was the light? He got sent to the light blues. Oh, that's right. The, the dark the, blues, the dark cut, blues so didn't want you, so he came to the light blues. That's right. So I, I, from listening to your to your podcast, I know you you worked a little bit in the minors, and we all know that if you work in the minors, no matter what you do, you you basically do everything. What uh, what's your favorite experience when you were working in the minor leagues? So. I, I get hired as an intern. Well, if we've got time, I've got I've got a story. I like to tell stories. So I go to the baseball winter meetings, and I end up I end up taking a job with the Williamsport Crosscutters. But leading up to that, I was in Nashville, which is where the winter meetings were held, and I think this was like probably two thousand two, around Christmas two thousand two. I'm in a bar, and I see Tommy Lasorda with some Dodgers executives um, and and Jim Tracy was there as well, who was the Dodgers manager at the time. And I see them in there and I walk up to them and I, I, I had met Tommy Lasorda years prior to this. Um, Tommy Lasorda is good friends with Homer Drew, who at the time was the head basketball, head men's basketball coach at Valparaiso University. Those two guys are close friends. So occasionally Tommy Lasorda would come to games at Valparaiso and my family had season tickets. So 
And at one point, we happened to be talking to Homer well before a game, and Tommy Lasorda walked up, and Homer Drew introduced my family to Tommy Lasorda. So fast forward, now I, you know, it's 2002 or whatever year it was, and I'm at the baseball winter meetings trying to look for a job. I see Tommy Lasorda in this bar, and I walked up to him and I just said, "Hey, Mr. Lasorda, my name's Chris McLean. We've met before. You probably don't remember meeting me, but." You know, and then he's like, well, when did we meet? And, you know, I tell him, hey, I met, you know, my family is friends with Homer Drew. His eyes light up and he's like, have a seat. I was like, wow. Okay. So here I am sitting down with this this legendary baseball figure, Tommy Lasorda. And, you know, we sort of rehashed the time that we met. He doesn't, I don't think he remembers meeting me, but he remembers being in a Valparaiso University men's basketball game. Well, so he's like, you know, asking me, you know, hey, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm, I'm here at a job fair at the baseball winter meetings. I'm trying to get a, an internship in minor league baseball. And that's sort of the conversation. He gets kind of just we have small talk. And then, you know, after a couple of minutes, I, I leave him and go back to my table. And when I get back to my table, the crew that I was with, their jaws are just on the ground. <laughs> They thought I was going to go and try to talk to Tommy Lasorda and he was going to kind of shoo me away. And I ended up sitting there for, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 minutes. And so that goes right. Then we go and you you kind of do the cattle, the herd process of uh, the, the baseball winter meetings. I interview with a number of teams. I get a job offer with the Williamsport Crosscutters, which I I ended up taking at the time. So, you know, I, I tentatively took it, we'll say. And then I go back to that same bar to celebrate. Now, I had been celebrating already. I'd had a number of drinks. Um, There were probably 20 of us from Indiana University there. We had just watched the Indiana-Purdue basketball game. Indiana won. So there was a lot to celebrate. I had an internship. A number of us had landed internships. Indiana won their basketball game. So then we decided to go back to this honky-tonk in Nashville. So we go. And I had told at this point, everyone who I came across has heard this Tommy Lasorda story, most of which don't be, don't believe me. <laughs> so we go we go back to this bar and there's Tommy Lasorda and people are like, oh, go talk to him. You know, he's your buddy. And I'm like, I'm not going to go bother him. And I'm sitting in, the, in a, on a bar stool and the guy across from me, I see his eyes just bug out of his head. And I'm like, what's happening? And I feel a shoulder or an, an, a, a hand touch my shoulder. And I look to the side. It's Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> and he asks me how things are going at the job fair. And he said, you know, I'm like, and I didn't say, oh, great. I just got an internship. I said, they're great. I've got some good prospects. And he said, come with me. And he brought me back to his table and he sat me down and he introduces me to now more Dodge. Now there's like Dodgers executives, like the um, I don't remember all their names or their positions. But anyway, he introduced me to these people. They sort of asked me what's going on. This was certainly the only job interview I've ever done where I was, you know, cert- certainly I was drunk. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were too, but still, I was I was nervous and buzzed up. So we fast forward, right? So this is now Saturday night. Sunday, I get back to campus. I call Homer Drew and just say, "Hey." you know, Mr. Drew, I met Tommy Lasorda. This is what happened. Um, I left him a voicemail, uh, like a five minute long voicemail of what happened. The next day I'm walking on campus. Now it's Monday. I get a call from an area code I didn't recognize. I answered the phone 
it was the Dodgers on the phone. They called to not set up an interview, not to talk. They called to offer me an internship. Wow. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Just so incredibly awesome. The, the unfortunate part is it was an unpaid internship in Los Angeles and um, you know, I didn't come. So it was with the, it was with the big club. It wasn't a minor league. It was with, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was with the Los Angeles Dodgers, not with one of their minor league affiliates. And so uh, I thought about it and I realized, you know, I can't afford to live in LA for three months with, with no money and work. You guys know, working in in baseball, (laughs) you could work a hundred hours a week sometimes and not, you know, there's no ability for me to go earn income outside of that. Unfortunately, I didn't take that internship, but I have no regrets because I had an incredible time in Williamsport with the Crosscutters. Wow, that's awesome! And and I know you've had another good. Uh, I kn- I know listening to your podcast, you had a good run in with some Cubs legends, and I it was with the Crosscutters. Weren't you watching a Cubs game? No, so I was. Uh, yeah, this is another. It's so it's crazy the things that just kind of happen when you're around it. I worked for the Carolina Mudcats. Uh, I graduated, I, so I did my internship, went back to school, graduated, moved to North Carolina and worked for the Carolina Mudcats, which at the time was a Florida Marlins affiliate. And I was in, I, I rarely ever went in the clubhouse for at, at any point, but I, I was asked to deliver something to the manager, which I don't even remember who the manager was at the time. So I walk in the clubhouse and, you know, guys are kind of milling around and um, I handed off what I needed to. And there was a, a side office. And as I passed, I happened to hear that familiar voice of Steve Stone. And so I I popped my head in because I knew the Cubs game was on and I just wanted to check the score. And when I popped my head in, I saw the Hawk, Andre Dawson, sitting on a folding chair watching the Cubs game. I was like, I just said, uh, hey, uh, what's the score? And he turned around and he said the score. And then I sort of crept in the room and stood there and watched the game for like five minutes. And I couldn't tell you a single thing about the game. I couldn't tell you a single thing about the game the second I walked out because all I was thinking about was I can't wait to call my mom and my grandpa and tell them that I just stood in a room and watched the Cubs game with Andre Dawson. (laughs) We had no, there was no interaction by the way, outside of me asking the score. I was terrified to bother them, but just standing in there in his presence was amazing. It was it was so cool. You know, Andre Dotson has uh, one of the best autographs in the game too. It's it's very artistic. Have you gotten a few signatures from him? I've never. I don't have any Andre Dotson signatures, but I've seen them. And yes, it is. It, it's it's very it's very easily uh, legible. Yeah, beautiful autograph. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Steve Stone, and I love Steve Stone. We did a uh, an episode earlier this year about Harry Carey, which really kind of opened my eyes to Harry Carey. Being a Cubs fan, favorite and least favorite broadcaster. As if you ask twelve year old Chris, I say Harry Carey is my favorite, um, and I say Tom Brenneman is my least favorite. Thirty eight year old Cub says Pat Hughes. Are you now? Are we talking Cubs broadcasters or let's let's do Cubs first and then and then we'll broadcast. Okay, yeah. So favorite thirty eight year old Chris is is Pat Hughes is my favorite, and my least favorite is still Tom Brenneman. <laughs> <laughs> He's the, he, wow. He won two awards. He does the Reds. He won right? two. Yeah, or did, did he, he does the Reds? Yeah. 
and and honestly, when Tom Brenneman was the Cubs, when he would fill in for Harry, when Harry would go to radio for three innings, I had no problem with him. But I was a kid, so you just whatever. I'm listening to the Cubs. I like it. It's the Tom Brenneman Reds and Tom Brenneman Sunday football. When I'm watching a Bears game, which that's a whole another thing to complain about. When I'm watching a Bears game and Tom Brenneman comes on my TV at 12.01 to do the pregame, you know, the two-minute pregame thing they do, I'm like, oh, God, no, please don't. It, I don't. It's either him or Dick Stockton. Those guys both, they they make me cringe. Dick Stockton doesn't really – I don't know that he half the time knows what teams are playing. And Tom <laughs> Brenneman is just – like every play, there's some hyperbole that follows, and it's like, just call the game, man. All right, so this is uh, this is another question that I I think most people will probably know my answers for. I've I've, I've mentioned this many times. You're uh, you're commissioner for a day. First thing you do, put Rob Manfred on a on a spaceship to some <laughs> other galaxy. Well, let's assume so that that's why you're commissioner for a day. Okay, good. <laughs> I'd say so that way he can never come back. Gosh, first thing I do, you know, I think I probably would have given you a different answer a couple of weeks ago. I have spent the last, you know, I worked in minor league baseball. I spent the last year plus talking to 50 some minor league baseball players. At some point, all those guys, right, played. So whether they were a major league player or not, I would find a way to, to, to give those guys a little bit more money and you know, when I talk to these guys, they don't, they're not asking to make big league money. Just pay them enough to, to where, you know, guys don't have to go back in the off season and, and, and work as a laborer for a bricklayer. You know, Chris Mazza, who played uh, this year, got called up with the New York Mets and, and finished out the season in their bullpen, would go home and work with his dad as a bricklayer to earn money because that's the only way he could continue playing minor league baseball. You know, so many of these guys, they go work construction, you know, they drive Uber, whatever they need to do. It's like if if these teams wanted to, to get the most out of these guys, they pay them enough money to at least be able to to live and then spend the offseason training exclusively. So I'd figure out a way to pay these guys more while at the same time not eliminating 42 minor league t- teams and completely decimating 42 local economies. That is, it's brutal, isn't it? 42. I And I saw yesterday the Chattanooga Lookouts are one of those teams. Like that is a, that's a minor league team that's been around for over a hundred years in a pretty yep. well-populated city. And they just want to just say, no, I mean, for a sport that struggles to find new fans, how in the world is this going to be a good idea? Baseball has done a really good job of eliminating fans over the years whether it's minorities or now what you know the talk of contracting minor league towns think of all the towns that built a stadium in a in a maybe an older part of town or uh you know maybe a downtrodden part of town and then as a result of building that stadium restaurants went up and and little shops and other little things that went around that that sort of created its own little micro economy that if you take that away, you know, you take away big league or, you know, minor league affiliated players away, those things, th- those places don't, don't thrive. So not only are you eliminating hundreds of, of opportunities for minor leaguers, all the, all the people that work in the front office, all the people that, that opened up a bar or a restaurant around those stadiums, 
There's so much more that gets impacted all because a few billionaires want to increase their margins. Sure. For some people, that's their only their only way that they can consume baseball too. Absolutely. They're, you know, they might not they might not have cable or they might be blacked out and the only way they can consume it. It's I am very disturbed by this. Williamsport is three hours from Pittsburgh and three hours from Philadelphia, three hours from New York. That's that's the closest they so if you get rid of Williamsport, that's a town of fifty thousand people that if they want to go see professional baseball, they've got to drive. Now I guess they could drive to State College, which is like an hour and a half, two hours away, but it's a three hour drive to go to a major league park. And I'll tell you, after spending a summer at that place, that's a bit, ba- I mean, Williamsport is a baseball crazy town anyway, but man, they support that short season single A team. They support the heck out of them. And you know, the fact that they were on the list is shocking considering major league baseball has used their stadium in the last couple of years to, to play a major league game. So it's just, yeah, it's sad. It's going to be an empty ballpark and every empty ballpark is sad. Yes. Well, let's not overlook the poor owners. I mean, you know, they're just, they're, they're barely, they're barely able to feed their families. So. Yeah. I feel terrible for those guys. <laughs> what I, when I think about this, I grew up, I learned baseball by my dad taking me to minor league games. And yeah, I immediately just got addicted. I was five years old and I just, I wanted to go back and I wanted to go back and I wanted to go back. And that's all I knew was this triple a, the Pacific coast league. And I, I lived and breathed it. And now they're taking that opportunity away from kids in the future. And that that's, that's sad. It is. You know, I, yesterday I was listening to, uh, I listened to 670 The score when I'm not listening to your podcast, I listened to 670 <laughs> The score out of Chicago and Matt Spiegel, who I think is, is under the radar. One of the absolute best baseball minds from a writer's perspective and a broadcaster's perspective, just, that I ever listened to Matt Spiegel, go find him, follow him, listen to him when he's, when he's on the radio, he does a show on Sunday morning, Saturday or Sunday mornings. I don't, it's the off season. So I don't remember, but during the season called hit and run. And he's just, he's an incredibly smart guy, but he was on yesterday uh, on one of the shows as a guest talking about the same thing we're talking about. And one of the things that he talked about was the Houston Astros have essentially eliminated, I mean, and you guys might be able to speak to this more than I can, but, but he talked about, they've eliminated so many of their, their kind of their old school scouts. And it's almost entirely about analytics and video cameras and garbage cans. But, (laughs) um, but so much of it's about that and the owners and the, the kind of the front office folks in Houston are a big driving force behind eliminating a lot of these minor league teams because they just say, well, we don't need it. And so that's just another thing that the, um, you know, the death star. Yeah. Could, could Hollywood write a better villain than the Houston Astros right now during this off season? No, they are trying everything. By the way, I'm sorry that I'm going to take us down a little bit of a tangent here. Right before I jumped on to, to record with you guys, Matt Spiegel again was on the radio and I, I just I love I caught both times by accident, and he was talking about the so Robinson Chirinos is up to bat, I believe it's on the twenty fourth of October, and something flies off of his hand. Oh yeah, as I he's saw swinging that. his bat, and he picks it up and he puts it in his pocket, 
And then that same night or the next morning, it was someone posted something on Reddit basically saying, I had a dream last night that basically, and then described what the Astros were doing. Um, and then it was like, oh, just kidding. That was a dream. But in reality, it's all playing out. But it talked about having some sort of like buzzer, not the garbage can thing, but the buzzer thing. Yep. And this all, like a lot of this stuff started breaking the day after. And I can't think of the guy's name. Is it Tal, Tal, what is his name? The guy that got fired for uh, yelling Taubman? at the female reporters. Talman, yeah. The day after he got fired is when some of the stuff started appearing on Reddit around the Astros cheating. So basically his conspiracy theory is this stuff is all coming out now because the Astros fired him, that he's the one who's feeding these people information. And I thought, well, that's a great conspiracy to look into. Yeah, there, I, I've seen that there is a, a quote unquote whistleblower that was on Reddit before this all came out. And and it's interesting yeah. that you're mentioning that buzzer. Yeah, I've, I saw that video. I've also read recently that uh, they think that the Astros would wear those in, you know, just put them in their shoe. So when they're at bat, they just feel a little vibration in their foot. Again, all alleged. We're we're trying to yeah. stay neutral until uh, innocent until proven guilty here. But some interesting. I'll let you uh, guys stay neutral. I'm not going to stay neutral on that. <laughs> it's it's sort of like your sign stealing episode from last week or from this week. Or la- I guess it'll be last week where they have the cable going through to the third base uh, coaching <laughs> box where it's like <laughs> shocking the guy. I mean, it's not much different. A little bit better technology. <laughs> yeah. All right, I've got I've got another question. We'll we'll we'll, we'll bring it back to a little bit more uh, jovial topic than cheating. Sorry, I got we, we always here. we always seem to get back to cheating recently. All right, so Chris, uh, one of our uh, popular segments on this show is when we uh, like to reminisce about old baseball cards, which I know you're a fan of. And when we have a guest on, we give them their own their own uh, pack of baseball cards, and we like to play a game that we call. Wax Packs Heroes. Gotta pull a wax pack hero. Now, beyond the incredibly catchy theme song that we have to introduce this uh, segment, we have already chosen a pack I gave you before we came on the air a couple of uh, different packs that you could choose from. You have chosen to go with the 1988 Don Russ card. Hoping for that Greg Jeffries rookie card. <laughs> Always. <laughs> uh, the rules here, if this is your first time, we are using a Beckett baseball card monthly from May 1992. That way we've got some actual value to a lot of these cards. Uh, we do hand out a couple of bonus uh, bonuses for certain players. If you are sporting a mustache, as approximately 82.9% uh, of every player had a mustache uh, around this time, you get an extra cent. And if that player is now in the Hall of Fame, you get an extra five cents. So let's take a quick peek at our guest leaderboard. And the Diamonds and Roses podcast, they had a heck of a pack. They are still up there, top of the heap with 93 cents. Uh, Kevin Kalau uh, with 31 cents. And then our friends from Absolute Bunts did not fare so well with only 19 cents. So uh, let's see, let's see what you can get with this uh, with this 1988 Don Russ card. I know it's one of your favorite your favorite cards. So no uh, no gum because it is Don Russ and you've got a Stan Musial uh, 
uh, puzzle card. Hall of Fame. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what you end up with, whether you need that or not. All right. Yeah. Okay. We're going to start off. Oh, we got cards upside down, inside out. All right. We're going to start off with a guy. This is, I, I hate to say it. This is not a good way to start out. I've never heard of this guy. <laughs> Pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies, Tom Newell. Anybody? He might be in a Hall of Fame somewhere, so that should count. His he's probably got a Hall of Fame shrine in his in his parents' house, but uh, that is yeah. uh, that is not worth anything, and he is not sporting a mustache. So well, that was worthless. All right, now what, here comes your first uh, mustachioed player. This is and one of the greatest names uh, of of all relievers, pitcher for the Royals, Dan Quisenberry. Oh uh-huh. yeah, Quiz is. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be worth anything at this point. He isn't. He's got one cent. Is that an action shot? Well, he's on the mound. Uh, He's. It looks like he's looking in to get the sign, but he is wearing the powder blue Royals uniforms. So, and it looks like, yeah, they've got uh, they've got Dick Hauser apparently passed away this season because they've got the Dick Hauser patch on his right shoulder. But uh, that is worth one cent. So you're on the board. Uh, next, oh, this is one of my favorite guys when he was on the uh, Dodgers. First baseman, this one, he's on the Brewers at this point, Greg Brock. Greg Brock. Um, I remember Greg Brock. He had a, he had a, Gosh, I don't really, I don't remember Greg. He had some good power. So, Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Didn't he have some power? Yeah, he averaged about 20 home runs a year. Uh, Average-wise, I mean, he was he was a typical 1980s first baseman. He'd hit about 20 to 30 home runs, and he'd hit about 250. Yep. But uh, that card... I'm I'm too impatient for the YouTube video that you're going to put out, so I'm Googling these <laughs> as we're going. <laughs> okay, now here's a good the, card. The Quisenberry card, I remember that one. Yeah, that's a, that's a good-looking card, because he's got a big mustache, too. That's almost a two-cent yeah, mustache. Yeah, he sported... He sported a killer mustache his career, man. All right. So here is somebody that we will definitely uh, hear from Mark on. At this point, an outfielder for the Atlanta Braves, Ken Griffey Sr. Oh, man. A couple of the best experiences of my life were involved Ken Griffey Sr. Nicest guy ever. That's great to hear. At this point, he is uh, not worth anything card-wise, but he does have a mustache. So... Another and he does have a son whose birthday is today. Today, as we record. that's right. Yeah, I know. My timeline on Twitter is just full of Ken Griffey Jr. stuff. Yeah, I've enjoyed people who have put together the the compilation of you know diving catches and monstrous home runs. I've enjoyed watching those throughout the day. All right. So next, you have got now. This is a very. Is this a rookie card? No. Wow. This guy's probably best known for being a closer for the New York Mets. Uh, pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds at this point, John Franco. Wasn't he nicknamed John like the Fireman? Something, the Fireman, I thought, something like that. Was he one of the Nasty Boys? Uh, I don't. I don't think he was. I don't think he was in the Nasty Boys. Was he? I mean, the Nasty Boys were really in 1990. Was their heyday? Uh, I don't yeah. remember. I I mean, I remember who were the Nasty Boys. First of all, we've got Norm Charlton. Rob Dibble. Rob Dibble. And then there was one and more. Randy was Myers. Randy Myers. There you go. That's it. Yeah. I remember John Franco, though, because he was born in Brooklyn. And I remember when he was on the Mets, especially after 9-11. You know, that was really his, his heyday around then. And he was a lefty, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. Yeah. Left-handed closer, which was kind of a, 
a rarity. But that is uh, that is not worth anything, and he is not sporting a, a mustache. What a bummer. Yeah. All right, so this is an interesting card. Chicago White Sox pitcher Bill Long. Uh, I do not know anything about Bill Long. I yeah. think you made that up. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's why we're recording it now. Uh, Bill Long is wearing a mustache. Again, why do I say wearing? Yes. But uh, he is. Uh, this is obviously old Comiskey Park, though, because you can see the, the old exploding scoreboard in the background with the pinwheels up top there. And a good Chicago White Sox hat with the, the kind of cursive C. That is one of my favorite hats ever in baseball. I like that. I, I also that like hat. the one that says socks, you know, just all in one line, kind of straight across. Uh, Those like were like the, a navy blue, red, and white color. Exactly. Hat. Yeah. Yeah. Harold yes, Baines. Another great one. The, the original Harold Baines on the Chicago White Sox kind of style. Yeah. You know, you could buy you could buy that Bill Long card on Amazon for a dollar plus a dollar forty nine in shipping. Well, you could That's if it. you were crazy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe Bill's, maybe his, his kids and his cousins, maybe, but that's about it. Well, they probably for that price, you could buy an entire box of eighty-eight Donruss and maybe land two or three of them. For that price, you could, <laughs> yeah, you could exactly, almost buy a Juan Gonzalez signed baseball that I know is on eBay right oh, now. If, if, if only, <laughs> only six ninety-nine right now. <laughs> All right, here's a card that's going to make you very happy. We are staring at a shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles in 1988. That's all I'm going to say. Can't imagine who that would be. I have no clue. (laughs) I'm lost. Let me Google it real quick. Baseball reference. Who is it? (laughs) All right. So Calvin Edwin Ripken Jr. So obviously this is a Hall of Famer. So there's five cents right off the bat. This card is also worth 20 cents back in the day. So that is a 25 cent card right there. You've just vaulted into third place in the standings uh, with one card. It's a good looking. Those are good uniforms, too, with the Orioles. They had the the bird, just the head, the kind of the cartoon head. Another go ahead home run for Cal Ripken Jr. (laughs) All right. So now we've got a rated rookie card. Drum roll, please. Came up with New York Yankees. Now a commentator on the MLB network. I when I think of this guy, I think of him more as a Mets pitcher for some reason. Al Leiter. Oh yeah. How yeah, about Toronto? Wasn't he on Toronto too? I'm not sure if he was on Toronto or not. For some reason that's in my head. I don't know. I, I believe was Leiter on the Mets when, when they had the during the Subway series? I think so. I, I remember him with the Marlins. He probably and didn't he play for the, the Mets? The no, I wanted to say the Brewers, but I don't think he was on the Brewers. I don't remember him on the Brewers either. Yeah, well, unfortunately, that is not worth anything. He, he did play for the Blue Jays. I'm looking at our yeah. Right now. I, rem, I remember. I don't. The I don't remember him for the Blue Jays, but but yeah, he did play for them. Well, that's disappointing. I thought you were going to get some a couple of cents off of that one. Uh, next, we go uh, to Giants outfielder Harry Spillman. Harry Spillman. Wow. Yeah. I remember I Harry nothing. Spillman just because I know a, a fair bit about the Giants. But uh, yeah, no, I'm going to guess that's going to be a common. And he is not sporting a mustache. 
I have not called their uniforms outfits yet today, though, so I got... Hey, that's improving, I'm man. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, next, we've got a catcher for the New York Yankees. I remember this guy, Joel Skinner. Sure. And I guess that's going to be a common. And then no mustache there. Here we go. Uh, this is a good card. Listed as an outfielder with the New York Yankees, who I remember him being with quite a bit, Claudel Washington. Oh, yeah. I think there was a Claudel Washington Yankees card in that pack that I opened on the live stream from the 87. It was well, he was wearing. I, re, I know exactly what that card looks like. He's wearing the the pinstripes on that one. Yeah. But Claudel <laughs> is sporting a, a mustache in this one. Very good. Boom. All right. Now, this guy is a Hall of Famer. He's sporting a mustache. And uh, let's. I'm going to give you a clue here, and let's see who can come up with it. He was inducted alongside Ricky Henderson. Wow! Insert crickets. Dead air. <laughs> <laughs> Boston Red Sox outfielder Jim Rice. Oh yeah, but I, I like nice. that because I I was a little disappointed. I, you know, Jim Rice I put there as a borderline Hall of Famer, but when you put him up against Ricky Henderson, I mean. Is he a Hall yeah. of Famer when you stand him next to Ricky Henderson? But uh, that card is actually not worth anything except for the six cents you get for the mustachioed uh, Hall of Famer. Yeah, I was going to say. I know he's he was he wore a mustache. Yeah. But <laughs> now he was. I, I don't want to take anything away from him. I mean, just looking at the back of his card here, the Don Russ only lists the last five uh, last five seasons. In 1983, he led the league in home runs and RBIs with 39 and 126. You know, he was good for 20 plus, 30 plus home runs a year. So, yeah. I mean, definitely a, a good player. Uh, I know when he went in, though, a lot of people were were kind of questioning, you know, is he a borderline Hall of Famer? But Yeah, I remember that. All right. Uh, remember this guy, shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds, Kurt Stillwell. Oh, yeah. Wasn't I remember him as a... Uh, Royal, I think. Yep. Oh, yeah, definitely. He was on the Royals. He came up with the Reds, though. This is his second year. Um, I'm wondering. No, I guess that was before. I wouldn't say he was holding it for Barry Larkin. Barry Larkin was later, I think, than than 88. He, Larkin was probably in the mid 90s. He came up. But uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Because I wasn't Larkin on that 90s team. I don't I think that's too I, soon for him. I is I thought it? he was. I thought he was earlier than that, but eh, who knows? Well, made his debut in 1986. Larkin did. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea yeah. that he was in the majors in at that time. So he and Sabo were holding down the left side of the infield. Okay, that's right. That's a pretty darn good left side. Yeah. All right. So uh, Stillwell though is not worth anything. Your second to last card, you're going to get a point here for a rather bushy mustache from Dodgers pitcher Ken Howell. Nice. Good work, Ken. <laughs> I don't Ken re- Howell, he played for the A's, right? I don't remember anything about Ken Howell. I think you're right, Chris. I remember that for some reason. Well, if he did, it was before 1984 because it's all Dodgers on the back of his card, and I don't remember him after 88 being on the A's, but I could be wrong. Wouldn't certainly would not be the first time. <laughs> oh, oh, be still my heart. Your final card. Ricky Henderson. No. Oh. 
Sam Horn. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a rookie card. So beautiful. <laughs> uh Sam Samuel Lee Horn. This is gonna get you this is gonna net you five cents for being a rookie card of Sam Horn, and he's got a mustache. So that's a six cent card Lovely. right there. Now, if I were grading this, it is off center. But fortunately, Uh-oh. that does not come mm. into play when we are uh, when we're playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> but there there is a Sam Horn rookie card, which I've got plenty of of, of these uh, from all makes all manufacturers in 1988 or 1989. Excuse me. But number one draft pick in the 82 amateur draft. Why do I feel like Sam Horn was like half of my commons? I don't know, because I, I know I certainly spent money to get Sam Horn cards. So they weren't just dropping in as commons. It's, that's fine. I think we talked about it before we started recording, but that's so funny how at that point there were so many of those cards that we just, guys that we thought, oh man, I've got to collect these because this guy is going to be so good. And then we look back on it now and it's like, ugh. Yeah, well, I mean, even if Sam Horn would have hit it big, you know, <laughs> we would still be we would still be laughing at his card probably right now. Yes, I knew Hensley Mullins was a second coming of Babe Ruth back then. <laughs> All right, so looking through your cards here, I would definitely say you know the Cal Ripken is is clearly your your big knock in the game, and then Jim Rice uh, would would be after that because those are your two Hall of Famers. Your final total is 42 cents, which it's it's weird how 42 has been coming up a lot. You know, you got Jackie Robinson, you got 42 clubs that they're trying to shut down in the minor leagues. And then you score a 42 here. Wow. It's a goocher on the, on the 43rd episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. We just had our 40, our 42nd episode was last show. So with a score of 42, that puts you firmly in second place. Still, oh, still the first uh, loser. Still trailing diamonds and roses with their ninety three. So, and and I'm not sure if you saw. I I did send Ben his uh, his Ken Griffey Jr. card, which pretty much accounted for that entire ninety three cents. I think um, I did see that. And you know, one of the things I noticed on listening to that, and I sent the audio to John Boy to break it down. We both noticed there was a garbage can sound in the background. So <laughs> I call that into question. I'm going to I'm going to formally protest. I don't know who I need to talk to. Mark, if I need to talk to you, um I need I'm going to formally protest this though. <laughs> well, I can take that. I can take that to the league secretary, no problem. As we I appreciate as that. we've already determined on this show though that I'm I am the editor and uh, I am the uh, the uh, judge in the kangaroo court, so I'm not sure that there's much higher power than myself here. I, I have no power. <laughs> I, I got no hand. All right, so there you go. 42 cents in, uh, in this week's uh, edition of Wax Pack Hero. Congratulations. That is a, a legitimate score right there for an 88 uh, Don Russ pack. Well, it was, it was, it was hard work. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into that, and I just want to thank you guys for allowing me to play. <laughs> take it, take it one game at a time. Uh, so, Chris, <laughs> yeah. do you want to uh, do you want to tell everybody how they can uh, how they can follow you, where they can find you on the internet, and all that good stuff? Yeah, so you can, yeah you can find me on on Twitter at Turn a Pair Chris, and then of course you can find me on iTunes, Turn a Pair Baseball Podcast, Spotify, 
anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can you can find the Turn a Pair Baseball podcast. Excellent. And uh, so, Chris, thank you very much for for being here. This was a lot of fun to finally get to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. I, you know, I've listened to you guys. I haven't listened to all 42 episodes, but I would say I probably have listened to the vast majority of them. And, you know, they, they always say, don't, don't meet your heroes. <laughs> and after meeting you guys, I can say that that's, that's definitely true. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I'm, no, I'm not humbled. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm kidding guys. Th- this was a lot of fun. Um, it, it was normally I'm the one reaching out, you know, to say, Hey, come on my podcast. And, uh, it, this was cool doing this. I had a, a great time talking to you guys and, um, at some point here, it's this very soon before next baseball season starts. I'd love to return the favor and have you guys on the Turn a Pair Baseball podcast as well. We well, that would be an honor. We are always available. Our, our social calendars are not full. We'd like to thank once again Chris from the Turn a Pair Baseball podcast for joining us today. That was a lot of fun. I'd like to remind everybody that if you would like to follow us on social media, we are posting things throughout the week. Uh, Reminders about shows, or just strange things that we find on the internet that might have anything to do with baseball, baseball history. You can find us at Two Strike Noise. That is at T W O Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram. Mark, it was good to be back. It was nice to have a little little bit of a break there for the Thanksgiving holiday, but it was great to come back and talk some baseball. You wanna you wanna keep doing this? Uh, you know. As we approach the end of the year, I got to say, this is the highlight of my week. Yeah, I want to do that for sure. Yeah, let's keep oh, going. That is good. I, I hope it's the highlight of, of everybody's week. But we do also want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, really do appreciate you. Love interacting with everybody on Twitter. And we've gotten a lot of uh, DMs and so forth of people that have uh, enjoyed the show. And we really do sincerely appreciate everybody tuning in each week and also allowing us a week off. <laughs> but uh, we will be back again next week with more baseball history on your favorite baseball history podcast. We hope to strike noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great day.